We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good, Lucky Lefty Podcast? We are brought to you by Anora Whiskey, AnoraWhiskey.com. That premium American whiskey, AnoraWhiskey.com. And if you drink, by all means, make sure you do so responsibly. Also, CFB Nation presented by Twisted Tea. Don't forget that, Twisted Tea. We have a very special guest that we told you would be on with us this morning. Before we get to that, we're going to talk about a couple of things. How Showtime and HBO dipping out of the boxing business might actually impact the Notre Dame TV deal. We'll be talking about that coming up in about hmm, 30 to 45 minutes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But we are pleased to welcome 
<clears throat> Look, man. You want to talk about one of the greatest defensive backs, return specialists, Notre Damers in the history of Notre Dame football. He's our guest today, and he's none other than Shane Walton. Big bro, welcome to the program. Welcome to the podcast. First of all, how are you doing, man? I'm blessed, man. It's a, it's a beautiful day in San Diego. Uh, happy to be on here. I've heard your podcast several times and excited to be on with you guys, brother. So I know fans want to hear from you about the current squad, yep. your thoughts, everything. How in the world Malik is an offensive coordinator out in Cali at Lakewood. DC is training. CJ Procise is training people. What is up with Notre Dame football players and getting into coaching and training? It's like, how's it going for you? It's it's uh it's a blessing, man. I, I'm back at my high school that I went to. So for me, it's pretty nostalgic, right? Wearing the same helmets, coaching on the same field, mm. playing some of the same teams. Actually, now I'm I'm coaching against some of the guys who I played against when um when they were coaching. So it's nostalgic. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think it's a way for a lot of guys to stay in the game, right? A game that we love for so long. Um, and then it ends abruptly. And it's it's kind of a, getting into coaching and training. It's kind of a way to give back and try to stay in the, in, a, in the game. So I think that's why a lot of the guys do it. What's the one thing? Because I'm sure once you left the NFL, you matriculate from Notre Dame to the NFL. That's a transition. Mm -hmm. Then you go from the NFL to post-career. How quickly did you get into coaching, and was there anything else from a business standpoint that had your heart or your passion? No, I, I it took me a while to get into coaching. I hated football once my career ended. Yeah. I wanted to be as far removed from it as possible for uh, a number of reasons. One, it was always, this is my buddy Shane, the football player. So... I wanted to kind of separate myself from that and try to form my own path and and my own identity. Um, and then just the way it kind of ended, like I didn't get to end on, on, on my own accord, right? I was kind of told, you know, you're hurt, you can't play anymore. So it was a difficult thing for me. Um, and it took me a couple of years to try to come to peace with uh, leaving the game um, the way I left it. But it's it's a beautiful thing now, right? When you go through those things, it's um, I think football trained me well. I remember telling the story when I first got into the work. Uh, I do work in education. I'm like in the dean's office, and uh, I met with the head dean, and he gave me a, a list of tasks to do for the week. And like after like two hours, I came to him like, all right, I'm done. And so like football, it trains your mind and trains your your whole mentality that every single minute is accounted for and like there's not really much downtime in football and so that transition was is difficult for a lot of people for a number of different reasons one you're not told what to do every single minute and you kind of right. have to figure it out on your own so it's a little bit of being like institutionalized but like once you figure it out there's a freedom in it since you said you do work in the dean's office i didn't wasn't even thinking about bringing this up one of the conversations we had early this week on the podcast was about um, fandom mm -hmm. and 
adults. This is just me. Uh, I work with uh, at-risk kids in the city of Chicago myself and have mm-hmm. been for 20 years. And so whether it's social media or just in chats and message boards, I always find it amazing that adults <laughs> can take what 17, 18, 19-year-olds do and judge a kid and label a kid, right? I'll give you a perfect example. But Notre Dame fans, they went hard at Caleb Williams over what he put on his nails about Notre Dame last year. And, you know, he's soft, he's this. And I'm like, you don't know this kid. <laughs> like, how are you? Like, I hate him. You, you hate him because you hate him? <laughs> and it's like, you know, to get people to actually get outside of fandom. And I say, yo, the goofiest thing in the world is we bring left into the what's up boy man waiting in these these car rental lines all night <laughs> in the middle of nowhere huntsville texas good grief <laughs> what's up brother how you doing man i'm good how are you my man thanks I'm for blessed, joining brother. us well, thank you you got it brother no so yeah shane just since you do that type of work how do you feel about that where social media seems to put a lot more uh pressure on these young men uh, as they go through college. And uh, Left, yeah. I told Left, I said the most pristine dude that we could think of is probably Andrew Luck. <laughs> and I said, I guarantee you Andrew Luck's boys are keeping his secrets <laughs> from Stanford. I'm, he had some. I get, It was a drunken night or something happened. Something, something. something happened that if social media was popping back when he was at Stanford, you know, his image might not be as pristine. Yeah, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, so I coached Tyler Buckner in high school. Um, and he's he and I are, you know, we still keep in touch. We still talk. Mm-hmm. And then I hear people talk about this dude. I'm like, man, this dude is, he's a great kid. Mm. He's, a, he's a phenomenal young man who makes the right decisions, never gets in trouble, always doing the right thing. Loves his friends, loves his teammates, loves his coaches, like very well respected. And I look at some of these message boards, and people are killing this dude. I'm like, man, he's 20 years old. And you're just you're killing this kid for making betting on himself. And he felt things were unfair and he he went and changed. So I, I, I think about some of these fans. I'm like, man, something was wrong in your business and you felt something was unfair. And you got double the money to go somewhere else and do it. Would you do it? It's like, mm. Yes, you would, but but yet we're killing these kids. Like we're not killing Sam Hartman for coming over, right? He he left somewhere else too. But we're not. No, killing he's that catching. Dude. He's catching some flat now. Oh, he he ain't not catching no flag at the Lucky Lefty podcast. He's catching some. <laughs> <laughs> he's catching some. But did you? But, but did you talk to? Did you get a chance to talk to Tyler about the transfer situation, knowing that it was unfair at Notre Dame with some of the circumstances, but going back to Alabama with the same people that put him in those circumstances? Yeah, we, we spoke about it. I mean, Tyler's he, man, he is a really intelligent dude. Um, I, I think right now his confidence is kind of rocked. Um, he looks like a shell of himself. I mean, I, I remember him in ninth grade making some of the passes that he can't make now. Um, but yeah, we, we did speak at length about it. You know, he and Tommy Reese are, they're really close. He, he trusts Tommy. Uh, they have a, really? a friendship. Yep. They have a friendship. Do um, you trust Tommy? There we go. You're his coach. Do you trust Tommy? 
look, I, I don't know him well well enough to trust him or not. Um, I, I trust Tyler, and Tyler has, you know, a, a, a friendship and a relationship with him. And, again, I, I don't know the man to, to trust him or not, though. I heard when everything was taking place that it was a really difficult decision for Tyler. For sure. Look, Tyler is smart, that. Yeah, look, he, he told me, he goes, Shane, I know if I go to Alabama, it's it's about trying to make it to the NFL. It's not he did his homework. He taught he talked to some of the former quarterbacks and they're like, look, this is not a team. This is about individuals and trying to make it to the NFL. And practice is tough. He goes, if I stay at Notre Dame, you know, it's I get to be with my brothers, I get to be it's a team, it's a family. He goes, I, I know the choice I'm making. So does that shock you where college football, because that's interesting. You have the contrast of pretty much family, brotherhood, academics, Notre Dame, in contrast to Alabama business. When you come here, it's about the business. Notre Dame lost the number one defensive lineman who eventually decommitted from Notre Dame last year and went to Alabama because his mother reiterated the same thing. Like, my son wants to go to the NFL. Like, he loves Notre Dame. He loves the class he's committed to. But ultimately, his dream is to play in the NFL, and Alabama is the place to get him there. Is that a difficult task for Notre Dame? Because I love the tradition of Notre Dame. I love Notre Dame being who they are. And I know there's certain things that they might be able to get into as far as NIL in the future and things of that nature and expand that. But is there a space moving forward for Notre Dame to be able to compete against programs like Georgia and Alabama that are strictly business NFL? It's tough for sure. I think um, I look at like who Notre Dame and who Stanford and who Vanderbilt can recruit. And you think it, it let's say there's 10,000 recruits out there. I, I think, you know, Notre Dame, Vanderbilt, Stanford, they get to recruit six, 700 kids of that 10,000. And now you throw in this money thing, you throw in everything else. And, and that, that number probably shrinks in half, if not more. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a kid that it has to be a certain type of kid that wants to go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is tough. It's not easy. Um, it, it's a tough place to be at. We used to say Notre Dame is a, is a great place to be from, not necessarily a great place to be. Uh, it's difficult to be there. The school is difficult. Uh, the surroundings in South Bend are difficult. Um, the standards that you're held to each and every week, um, you mess up. It's it's especially a quarterback. Like everyone, ESPN knows it. Everyone knows about it. It's it's challenging, and and you get everyone's best shot. People say all the time, like we we get everyone's best shot. It's it's a tough place to be at, and I think sometimes recruits look at those things and say, why wouldn't I just go to Miami, or why wouldn't I go to my uh, Alabama and I get double the money. I get just to, you know, I don't really have to go to school. I get to, you know, just play football. And so it's the odds are they're stacked against Notre Dame, but I think there's still that Notre Dame type of kid that wants that um, system, that wants those traditions, that wants those um, kind of boundaries. You know what? Left, you could probably ask this question because. You're the only person that I've heard say this that covers Notre Dame. And I want to get both of your inputs. 
Malik was very adamant that he felt like the direction of the team and the offense should have been turned over to Tyler as soon as he got to camp. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's like, yo, that's your guy. Let him learn. Let him play. Then they bring in Jack Cohn. So this is like the second transfer quarterback that Tyler has had to deal with in this time. So I understand the frustration. As his high school coach, did you feel the same way, like going through his recruitment, things that might have been promised to him or or told to him coming into the situation? He comes in as an early enrollee. How do you think that impacted the way he was treated and handled his freshman year? I mean, I, I'm like you. I, I think he's really talented. Uh, I think the offense should have been tailored around him. And then you take your growing pains that freshman year and then – like knowing that better next that, year that's how it works <laughs> but it's, i think like all the the former players understand it right like that that first year is it's a transition year it's going to be difficult um and and to me it's like what did they really do that year what they do they didn't, didn't do it empty calories you know we had empty calorie season a couple years ago that's what we do you know we'll, they did, they did nothing so why not allow him to have that year get all the mistakes out, like let him learn the system. And then he comes back ready to go. But I, I think his sophomore year, I, I, it's it's a different year. If he has that freshman year of growing pains. And then I think this year you see a different Tyler, but it's our world is not like, you don't have patience anymore. Right? Like you think about, I know when I used to go to the library, I had to like the, Dewey Decimal System, right? I got to look up the number. I got to write it down. I got to go to that, the correct, like, storage unit it's in. The, the, hopefully, it's the right bookshelf. Hopefully, it's there. Now, you want something, you just click a button, and you and you have the whole book. And yeah. so, like, the economy of our brain, there's no more patience. There's no more wait. There's no more, like, hey, let's play this out, and, and let's just wait a little bit. It just doesn't, like, our world doesn't really work like that anymore. We definitely used to have a library time. We would go to the library and learn how to use the encyclopedia and, <laughs> and look up how to get nonfiction from fiction books and, you know, the whole checkout process, you know. Now you just Google anything. You hit Siri you and it. That whole you right away. Yeah. You don't have to wait for anything. You don't how have to be coach. Yeah. How would you coach Tyler, though, going into after you saw his freshman year, some things that he probably could have worked on? What were the things that – Tommy should have called for him to help him see seem more like the starter that I felt like he should have been when he first got there, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's as you know, there's so many things that go into it. One, like I'm I'm looking at I, I'm on a, a text chain with about twenty-five of my former buddies and players from Notre Dame. And there's one game he threw a hitch and the guy, the corner intercepted it. And everyone was like, that's a terrible throw. And like everyone was like, no. As a receiver, I know it's my job to get that corner out of his back pedal so he has to open up. Our receivers aren't getting guys out of their back pedals. And so, like, but the outside world looks at it like it's that's Tyler's He's throwing a pick six. Yeah, he's just throwing silly pick sixes. So I I think having the whole, like, our offensive line, if we're honest, our offensive line was not great his first two starts. Our receivers, we're still struggling at receiver, right? And they're all a year older. We we had one guy to throw to. That was um uh eighty seven. What's the name at and for the uh 
Michael uh, Mayer. Uh, yeah, Mayer. Yeah. yeah. Like, so it's like, what what are we doing around him to make him successful? I think that's where it starts, right? Like, if I have a great offense line, great running game, great receiver, I could just be okay. So I think that was a piece of it as well. I think just, I mean, they 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 had him. He was learning two different offenses. Here, this is your offense that you're gonna run, but also you gotta learn this offense too. Yeah, that we're not calling the plays for you, but you gotta know it. You know, it's 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 crazy. Yeah. And like I watched, like a lot of times, especially his freshman year, when he went in, it was all run. Like let him throw. <laughs> like you brought him in here to play quarterback, not running back. Let him throw the ball. Yeah. Like everyone knows when he's coming, it's run. Like let him throw it. Let him build the confidence. So to me, right there, you're telling him that you don't trust him to throw the ball. And so now you want to go into the next year and I'm supposed to just have confidence that that I'm, I can throw the ball? Like when you never believed in me the whole year. That's right. Yeah. I think the game, the game you're referencing is the Virginia Tech game. Yeah, it was yeah. Virginia Tech, and he played very well early. And then Virginia Tech made some adjustments in the second half and he threw a couple of picks and they brought Jack Cone back in the game. But, but I, I agree with Tyler. And he told me on that one interception, he told me that he was told to throw this route no matter what. <laughs> so he throws that route, it gets picked, and you're mad at that kid. That's what like that's what yeah. people don't understand. Like when you're told to do something, you just do it. And now now it was like, oh Tyler can't throw. He like come on. Right. Yeah. I, we feel the same way <laughs> because a lot of fans are upset with uh, the output of Tobias Merriweather, the wide receiver, as a sophomore. And we're like, if you don't develop and in, infuse him with confidence as a freshman, how do you expect him to just come out as a sophomore and just take off? That's not the way things happen. You're giving him one play per game, one target per game as a freshman, but he's the only wide receiver, well, other than Braden Lindsay, that can take the top off of the defense. It's like, what else can you expect from the kid? I, I agree. Man, you, you got to build these kids up with skill. But also these kids now, like, it's so much about, like, their confidence. And these kids nowadays are so fearful to make a mistake or be wrong because it's it's out there. It's talked about. It's on social media. Like, the whole world knows about it. I used to do so many dumb things as a kid, and only the people around me knew it. And so I'm like, all right, I'm good. These are my homeboys. They're not telling anyone. Exactly. But now it's it's on video. It's on YouTube. It's it's crazy. It's it's a it's a different world, man. It's it's tough for these young men. I I feel them, but also like they they got to be able to overcome some of this fear. Yeah, exactly. Would you would you suggest uh, Tyler possibly transferring again? You know, I. I don't know if he plays at Alabama again, right? Like, yeah. I, as I, I love Tyler. I care about Tyler. I think he's a great quarterback. I don't think he's going to play at Alabama, even if he's the better quarterback. I just think there's the narrative on him is that he can't do it. And so maybe that's something that he probably has to do. I look at uh, what's the guy's name that transferred to Oregon State? Oh, DJ Uwanga. They, they were killing him at Clemson. Yeah, man, look at this dude. And now, now, now he ain't the problem. Now, look, they can't blame me now. <laughs> they can't talk about it now. It's tough, man. Playing quarterback is tough. I, I mean, it's a, it's your fault 
or you're the you're the hero. Like there's there's not really ever any in between. And I, I'm so happy when, when guys like that get blamed and they go and get to like flourish like he is now. That that's awesome. I hope that Tyler is able to do something like that as well. Once again, the great Shane Walton joins us right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. CFB Nation, make sure you check out the audio edibles we give you each and every day. YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell, that thumbs up, the like button, smash it for us. We greatly appreciate it. It's the Lucky Lefty Podcast. We spin it different. Let's spin over to something. As former Notre Dame players, you guys take a lot of pride in setting the tone and watching the players come after you. For the past four years, I would say, maybe a little bit longer, we've been referring to Notre Dame as fair catch you. (laughs) Especially in the pun game. And look, the long history, I don't care how or what the season went like. Notre Dame had a, a kick return specialist. Yes. Okay, Tim Brown, Ricky Rocky Waters, Ishmael. Rocket Ishmael. Um, CJ for a little bit. Allen Rossum, Bontez Dub, Shane Walton, Joe Gatherall. Kick return, punt return. The Atkinson kid. I can go on and on. Notre yeah, Dame was going to have somebody. Punt return, kick return. Absolutely. Notre Dame was going to have somebody that can run back the punts and the kickoffs. That was a given. Tom Zibakowski. It didn't make a difference. Julius Jones. Julius Jones. Man. Man, right. What man, has, man. Dude. <laughs> so, Chris, I think Chris Tyree had the kickoff return against Wisconsin a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And finally, Jadarian Price takes it back 98 yards against USC. What is the key? Like, is there a secret? Because it seems like the secret recipe was in the program for a long time. That's right. And then all of a sudden, we just got nothing. <laughs> oh, that's right. Golden tape. Yeah. yeah. You can I go mean, on. Big time. I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I feel like we just keep throwing a walk on back there. Yeah. And, yes. And, like, we do it like a Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. Like, oh, his whole dream was to play Notre Dame. <laughs> So let's throw him at punt return. What? Like, no, this is not a waste of a rep. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's such an explosive play. Like, you just put you put one of your best athletes back there that has hands and and let him cook. Yeah, that's it. Hey, try to get in someone's way. Get a little block. Put some emphasis in the return. Like, but but just put it. Put a special athlete. Like, we always have special athletes. Why can't yeah. we return a punt or a kick? Yeah, it drives me. We were just talking about that on our, I told you on that text stream. Uh, one of the guys said, man, when are we going to invest in a punt returner? <laughs> just invest. Like, do we have to give a punt returner an NIL deal or something just to entice somebody in the country to come? Oh, man. It's, it's been so bad. It's been so bad. I don't understand. Like, just put an athlete back there and, and let him go. I mean, that's what the kid from USC does. That dude's not following blocks. He's no, doing what he, he's doing what he sees. No. He's just like, oh. kick it to me, I'm going to run around. Like, How did you end up? But first of all, you were your first love was soccer. Yes, sir. So how did you end up getting the return job? Man, I always wanted to return. I, I, I did it in high school. It was one of my favorite things to do. Um, and Coach Davey was like, no, you, I, we need you to block. <laughs> I, all right. But I mean, since <laughs> – Defense, right? We had Joey Gatherall back there. We had Julius Jones. So 
I get it. Those guys were, they were special. Um, and coach Willingham came in, I was a senior. I was like, Hey coach, I want to return some kicks. And he goes, all right, well, you got to prove it to me. I was like, okay. And so I had a bunch of interceptions took in the house. Yeah. He goes, okay, you proved it. You can go back there. So he yeah. let me go back there. I know <laughs> B-Duff, Vontez, and I would always fight to go back there, but B-Duff was good about it. He let me get some, so. What was your favorite part about punt return? Was it, was it just the freedom that it was no real rules? You had a couple, okay, you got to start inside, set up the blocks and work outside. But other than that, what made it so fun for you out there? I just, I mean, I love, for me, it's easier, right? Like you got guys flying at you. And really on punt return, you make one or two guys miss and it's, you're gone. Yeah. Whereas kickoff, there's layers of them, right? Um, but I just felt like, I didn't feel like people could tackle me. And, that's, and I know V. Duff had the same thought. I know Joey Gethrow had the same thought. And so maybe that's what it is. It's just a, men, a mentality. Because some people, like, I'm like, when I get this ball, I don't feel like anyone could tackle me. And that was the thought all of our punt returner and kick returners has. Like, man, I'm taking this to the house. I don't care who they have out there. That's right. And so I, I don't know. Maybe our guys don't have that confidence now. But I know anyone back there, we were competing. Like, because, you know, if you didn't take it to the house, there were two or three other guys behind you that could. Yeah. I wonder if you guys sat down and had a debate. <laughs> the best unit that were return specialists was it the DBs, the wide receivers, or the running backs of Notre Dame? That would be a great conversation because you, yeah. Alan Ross, and then Duff. It's pretty good. That's, I, yeah, that's pretty good. pretty good. It is. I mean, there's some special guys. When you think about the Rocket, you think about Tim Brown. Joey Gethrow was special, man. That dude was special. Julius Jones. So, I mean, I think there's more opportunities for the offensive guys, but the defensive guys, you know, when we get our hand on the ball, we don't get it much. Right. So we're, we're trying to take it to the house every time. Yeah. Yo, you talk about Joey Gethrow and Julius Jones. That Nebraska game when they came, the South Bend had to be crazy. <laughs> Coming off the national championship, number one in the nation. They walk in. And you guys stay in the game strictly off defense and special teams and had a chance to win it in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember that game. I'm still heartbroken about that game. Um, a few missed assignments, and it's, and it's a different game. Uh, but I, I remember talking to the other corner at the time, Brock Williams, and we're like, hey, we looked at each other before the game. We saw those dudes warming up. Those dudes were big. And we're like, hey, man. I might die today, but we go ahead first for sure. Oh, but that was our mentality, man. We was like, man, we're trying to kill people out there. It wasn't. I'm not trying to get you down. I'm trying to hurt you. Yeah. When you look at this Notre Dame team, though, and you see our us go through those ebbs and flows, where you're like, why are we not turning it on? And then you look at the USC game, and you're like, man, we we could have been doing this all season. What is your evaluation of? What's been the miscues or the the ups and downs? Because I feel like Marcus Freeman is a pretty consistent guy from yep. being who he is as a head coach. I feel like he's not coming out there one day or one week super sad, and the next week he's yeah. all excited to play X Y Z team. So, what do you think is the reason why? I think some of it is I think we have some guys who are really talented that are young, and for whatever reason they're not just understanding the defense. Um, and then I think it's it's really like. I coach now. I'm like, look, one of my favorite guys to coach off is, is Ed Reed. Mm. And it's Ed Reed because that dude was always around the football. And to me, it, like defense is about alignment, assignment, and then get, get your ass to the football. 
And when you do those three things, good things happen. And so to me, like when we used to play, we had a loaf board. And so if you, you did not want to be on that loaf bar, <laughs> board because you were, you were running, you were running, everyone saw your name up there, how many loafs you had. And so if you throw on that 2002 defense, 2001, guys were flying to the football. And yeah. when you fly to the football, you make one guy miss, you got to make four or five other guys miss. And you fumble that ball, there's six or seven other guys right there to get that ball. And so I think that's the one piece that's missing from this defense is the desire to get to the football. Mm. And, and that, like it, it has to be a passion about getting to that damn football. Yeah, it's a, it's a you thing. And you're getting cussed out. Someone's cussing you out because you're not getting to that damn ball. <laughs> and it might be a coach, but it's probably it was probably me. But it's another <laughs> another guy on that defense that was doing it. That's right. So let's go to we had uh, your former teammate Derek Curry on. DC is a fool. DC <laughs> is a fool. So <laughs> DC kind of threw the defensive coordinator under the bus because mm. he said uh, he said our defense man in 2002 and we were talking about the Florida State game I think Florida State got into the red zone like four times in the first half and came away empty-handed and yeah he was like dude there was some calls coming in where we were just like hell no we ain't running that, <laughs> that ain't that ain't it hey make a play Shane make a play Mike Goosby make a play like let's go defensive front yeah. make a play Campbell and the guys up front like is, is that kind of like what you're talking about not to be disrespectful to the DC but it comes down to the guys making plays on the field no matter what the call for sure is. yep yeah, for sure um that, that's what people don't understand like a, a coach's job is to put you in a position to have success that's it they can't make the play for you they can't cover for you they can't be beat the, the offensive tackle one-on-one -on -one for you. It's your job to do that. So it, it comes down to being able to make plays. I will say, though, I, I remember the the USC game, and I I got into it with our D.C. because you, you sit back there and let Carson Palmer throw the ball. It's an easy game. I'm like, man, let us play, man. Let's get after this dude. Let's blitz. If you watch the game, we played so much zone, and that dude just picked that zone apart. Yeah. Those receivers were getting after it. But to me, I, I, you know, my first two years starting, all we did was play man press and we yeah. got after people yeah. and we said, man, you, it, this is not going to be, it's going to be a long day for you. I remember yeah. uh, Coach Davey, uh, we, we were playing uh, Drew Brees and it was one of the, he was, they were one of the first teams to start going empty. And Coach Davey was like, F that. They want to go empty, try to get this guy to win the high school. We're going to hurt this dude. So we're coming after him. He goes, DBs, that means you guys are one-on-one. Gotta yeah, you got battles. one on one. You just got to make. Got to win your battles. We're gonna come after them. We're gonna help you, but you got to win your battles. That's defense, right? Like, let's get after people. Um, let's get to the football again. I think that's the one piece missing is guys having the just the desire to get to that ball. Because I, I watch these games, I'm like, look, I don't really care if they win or lose. I care how they win and lose. Oh, right. Mm. If, if they're playing with passion, they're bringing it. Like, I'm okay if they lose. Sometimes the team is just better than you. But I, I want to see that fire. Like, I, for me, we used to always say, like, man, you wear these golden helmets for everyone in this huddle right now, but also for everyone who's put this helmet on before you. And those are the people that you need to make uh, impressed. Those are the people you need to make proud. And so I'm like, man, that's a lot of weight. I'm, I'm talking about Todd Light, right? Uh, like, 
D Mays, like watching these, like I'm trying to make those guys proud of me. And so I think that's what these guys need to understand. It's like, man, these guys are watching how you play, right? Like yeah. how much does it mean to you? Cause I know I, I broke my arm out there, I broke my foot. Like I got, I got a lot of stuff out there on that field. Like, what do you bring into the table? Mm. That's right. Yo, that's, that's deep. I got a lot of stuff out there on that field. That that's, are you proud now? Yeah, are you proud game. now with the, the way Al Golden is letting Benji and Cam Hart play? Like, they yeah. play a man to man. Man uh, up. That, again, these guys, you look, think about what we did to Ohio State, too. Um, yeah. And Marvin Harrison Jr., that dude didn't have many catches. Like, you got, you got, you bring these athletes in, like, let, let them cook. Let, let me get out there. That's, that's building confidence, right? Like, let, like, telling you guys, hey, you're going one on one, Marvin Harrison Jr. I believe you can do it. Right? That's it. And not only do I believe <laughs> you can do it, <laughs> I'm going to make the calls that tell you I believe you can do it. Yeah. Right. Think yeah. about the mindset. What's the message to those guys? Man, I believe you. I know you can do it. And that's what I was frustrated with when it comes with talking a little bit about Tyler again is that we wasn't calling no plays for Tyler to feel like, oh, I'm we're giving him these packages like, look, you can only run. Run inside, throw a slant, or you know, read option, and I'm like, that's not even, that's not helpful, and that's no. why I complain so much to why he's just be the starter, and then you'll figure out what he's good at as he's taking the lumps or doing good things, and once for we sure. didn't do that, and then we brought in another guy, I said we not we not interested in Tyler the way we treat. No, him. for sure, because we weren't winning a national championship that year anyway. No, so yeah. if you're not winning a national championship, you might as well prepare the team to do it for the next couple of years. Exactly. Exactly. So, I want to flip to the other side. As a defensive back, one of the biggest complaints we've seen, especially on social media, about the offense that has struggled as the teams have gotten better on the schedule is the wide receivers and their inability to get off bump and run and get open. From a defensive back standpoint, teams are really just walking 8-9 up to the line of scrimmage and challenging Notre Dame's offense and saying, look, we're coming after Sam Hartman. See what you can do. What What is it with release packages and getting off that type of coverage? What do you think these young wide receivers, especially that have been pressed into service, what can they do? Or uh, is it an OC issue putting them in certain positions, maybe bunch formations, motion, and other yeah. things to help them? I, I think it's probably uh, a little bit of both. Like you're talking about the receiver; those dudes are young dudes, man. Mm-hmm. Right? You're talking about a lot of freshmen, uh, a lot of sophomores out there, um, and you're talking about you know going against some guys that are grown men mm-hmm. that are 22 years old, right? Now they're playing against 18 year olds. Like that's that's a tough job. Um, so I think one physically, I think they're challenged um, and they're a little bit behind. And we I think we saw that last year too, right? Like. Those guys couldn't get open. Like they're they're not they're not putting fear into anyone. The other thing I think you can do with some play calling is, is help them out. Like run some run some rub routes, run some crossing routes. Um, let them try to take the top off once in a while. Like we run all these like ten yard hits, ten yard curl, like five yard hits. Yes, as a DB, like I'm, I know you're not gonna throw deep. So like until you until you scare me into that, I'm not I'm not gonna respect it. I know that's what we that year yeah, we love, love those ten yard curls and ten yard hitches. Like we man, like the hell out of them, <laughs> right? 
if, if how many do we do? If I, if I guess one time and I get it right, it's probably to the house, right? Like, yeah. Like we're, we're not helping them out either. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a powerful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. When you say putting fear into uh, the offense is hard, as a defensive player, doing things like playing man, playing bump, what are some of the things as a defensive player you would say is that's putting fear into the offense that uh, we're not doing defensively? Because I think we have a good defense. But yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think teams offensively are like, man, it's going to be a long one versus Notre Dame because they just – they just whooping our ass all play. Yeah, I, I think some of it is a little bit scheme. I, I think some of it might be just too challenging. I remember when I played uh, my senior year, we went into like games with like five defenses. And we knew those five defenses really, really well. Um, and even like when I went to the NFL, I played in St. Louis. And Lovey Smith, we had probably 12 defenses. We went in every game of four. And we knew every hole of that defense. Then I went to Pittsburgh. We had about 60 defenses. I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so <laughs> I, I look at this, and I think even, like, um, what was it? Xavier Watts had that first pick. Yeah. That was a busted coverage. Yeah. So that, that guy was uncovered. He was supposed to be right. at the, 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 the middle of the field safety. And luckily, again, this is what blitzes do. They made him throw that ball quickly. But that guy was uncovered. <clears throat> Right. So I think sometimes like our guys don't understand their assignment because they had um, they I think they sliced the back out the backfield and that guy was a tight end. He released up, up, the, up in the middle vert and both guys covered the running back slicing out. Mm. And so he was uncovered. Um, but fortunately, like right, I think, number one, Baptiste got in there. He beat his tackle inside and was able to force some pressure and. It, I, I, Williams had to throw the ball off his back foot and just kind of lofted it too much. But if he throws that ball on the line, like that might be a touchdown. Right. So right. I, I think guys aren't fully understanding the scheme. And I think that's why you see more of the senior players playing as opposed to the younger, talented players. Like the Jalen Sneeds of the world. You know, yeah. Man, I, that guy needs to play. He's too yeah. talented. You saw, like, he gets out there for a few plays, like, he's talented. Right, like, but I, I think he's having trouble really fully understanding the, the whole scheme. Man, just giving giving them a little bit too much, and like you said, Lovey Smith, I can echo that sentiment because Lance Briggs and Brian Erlacher was like, "Yo, we 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 had three four plays. That was it. Either we were gonna be in cover, we were gonna be in cover two, man, or we were blitzing. It, it, that was it. 
Every game. <laughs> but but you knew how the offense was going to attack you. You knew the weakness of every single defense, mm-hmm. right? And then you could just play fast. I always say, like, when when you're thinking, like, during the play, like, you can't you're, – you're, it's too late. You have to think before the play so you can react during the play. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see sometimes our guys thinking during the play, and it's, it's too late. You in this At this level, guys are too fast. They're too quick. They're too smart. If, you, if you're thinking, you, 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 you got beat. Once again, the great Shane Walton right here with us on the Lucky Lefty podcast. I am very interested in knowing, I guess, the backstory with the great Joe Montana um, not being around campus until this weekend has something to do with the way his son was treated uh, when he was there. Really? Uh, yeah, they, they talked about it on the broadcast a little bit left. I don't, he eventually ended up transferring, if I'm not mistaken, but. Um, there are a lot of players that seem like they're more willing to come back and be closer to the program than during the previous regime. Uh, was there anything in particular? Because you guys always have a text thread. Like, what was the text thread like when it came to, like, going to games, being on the sideline? Like, that atmosphere Saturday night was fantastic. Because all of the former players that were there, hey, all of the former USC players that were there, like yeah. you felt how enormous the rivalry was. Like you oh, felt yeah. how big that game was. For sure. And of course, almost 9 million people watching mm. it. Yo, it's Notre Dame USC. So can you talk about that a little bit and how the text thread went and how the text thread has changed? Uh. As far as you talking about being welcomed back with, with Freeman? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's been significantly better than the last regime. Uh, there's been <laughs> more uh, – I've talked to more people probably in the last year from Notre Dame than I have probably BK's entire tenure. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think he understands, like, hey, I didn't create this. There's There's been something special here um before me and i'm not going to try to change that and make it my own i just want to add my little you know two cents here my two cents there he's going to put his touches on it but he's he he knows that notre dame is about the guys that have come before you because all the stuff they have now is because it, it was built on all the guys backs who've been there before the guys that are there right now and i think marcus freeman understands that and and as a former player i love that i i remember coming back right five six years ago and like i couldn't even really get in the stadium I'm like man yeah no you you you, you fighting to get in that stadium now they what's, check double checking right and you, hold on now i'm i'm <laughs> i'm calling the the sid to get in it wasn't even the sports information department it wasn't even the football staff let me yeah in. you gotta call you gotta call the uh the big wigs and the and you get yeah. up people up there you can't so, to me i'm like why why not have a big bleacher for your former players on the field like that's that's recruiting one-on-one right there yeah yeah like i see all these stars when i walk in all hanging out together i want to be a part of that yeah. like wh- why make it difficult for us to get to the game <laughs> like, what's, like what's all the cj car like you said cj car and deuce knight the 24 and 25 quarterback recruits that have committed to notre dame took a picture with joe montana in the locker room yeah i'm like okay that that's different. Yeah. That's different than what I've seen. 
from a recruiting standpoint and the, the, the atmosphere at Notre Dame. So that that, that yeah. aligns to what you're talking about, Shane. Yeah, I, I definitely think it, it, it has shifted um, towards the good um, in the last couple of years, uh, which is an incredible thing, right? You, to me, it's you want that. Notre Dame is built on the history and tradition of, you know, the guys that have been there and, and done it the right way. And so why not embrace that? There's there's some good dudes. Why not embrace that? Why not have these guys around your program? Why not have these these wonderful people that are doing incredible things out in the world? Why not have them back with your guys? So I, I think Marcus Freeman's really embraced that and understands that that's a significant piece of what Notre Dame means. What would you do in today's college football landscape with this NIL? Would you be going for the bag or would you still be focused on the tradition and getting to the league through, you know, Notre Dame? That's tough, man. Um, <laughs> I look Tell at it. Like, man. Tell the truth. You remember all them cold nights in the South Bend where some, where some dollars can help? <laughs> oh, man, that's that's tough. Um, <laughs> I think I would have still wanted to be at Notre Dame because of yeah. what it means. Um, like, there's to me, there's a greater purpose. Um, and it's not just money. It's not just football. There, there's certain things like doing this stuff, right? Um, I feel like connected to you and like this is the first time meeting you. Yeah. So there's something special about that. Even like I know um, when I was in the NFL, it's like if there was a guy on the team and he was coming to play us, I went to his hotel, picked him up and we went to dinner, right? Mm. Guys in the NFL knew that that's how Notre Dame guys were. And so, yeah, for that's me, that's boy. He's like, hey, what's, what's up, man? You, <laughs> you yeah, trying to get this Everyone, everyone, yeah, you Notre Dame guys, you guys stick together. I'm like, yeah, we do. Um, it, it's just different, right? Because I think we know how difficult it is to be there, right? I think all of us had other options to go that were probably easier options, but we chose to grind. We chose to do it the hard way. Um, and I think we're closer because of that. But some of that money looks really nice. <laughs> not bad, man. It's not bad. <laughs> Do you think that's a perfect segue with the departure of Father Jenkins and Jack Swarbrick both stepping away? Yeah. And I have a theory. <clears throat> um, I think Jack Swarbrick is very traditional. And I think he knows in order for the football program to have a fighting chance, some things and some decisions need to be made. And I don't think he was comfortable making those decisions because of, you know, his standards. But I thought it's, I think it's big of him to step out of the way and say, look, I know Notre Dame needs to move forward. So they need, we need to get somebody in here that can facilitate that. And in comes Pete Babakwa to be the next athletic director. And we'll, we'll see who the next president of the university will be. But um, what are your thoughts? And he mentioned the NIL space. Do you think this signals Notre Dame possibly being a little bit more aggressive in the NIL space? I, I think we're going to have to if we want to compete, right? I, I You look at that, that big dude that decommitted and went to Alabama. Why did he decommit? Yeah. If he loves school, why did he decommit? Like, yeah. So the landscape of college football is changing. It just yeah. is. And like you have to adjust and adapt, just like everything else in life, right? I don't adjust and adapt to start learning other things. Like I get left behind. And so 
I think it's admirable of him if that if that's what happened. If they were pushing him to change and he wasn't comfortable doing it, I think it's admirable to step down and say, "Hey, yes, I'm not going to change." Yeah, me. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but I'm not comfortable with that. So, yeah, if, if that's where you're headed, I, I, I'm going to go in a different direction. So, if that's the way it happened, I think that's you know it's best for both parties, right? Yeah. Um, but but I think there's there's a change coming to the landscape of college football, and if we don't get with it, we're going we're gonna to get left behind. And I think, look, you know, a lot of people take issue with Jack Swarbrick. And, you know, I point out, I said, look, you can say what you want to say, but the business of Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick handled that. Like every time it was a major meeting concerning college football, he's in the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. You have the presidents for conferences, and then you have Jack Swarbrick. Notre Dame is the only individual entity at the big table every time. Yeah. So for that, I tip my cap. Now all for of the sure. other stuff, yeah. I understand NIL. Uh, another thing, softening of the transfer uh, requirements to give Notre Dame a better chance in a transfer portal to go and get, yeah. you know, better guys. Uh, those are things that Pete Pavacqua and the new president will have an opportunity to work with Marcus Freeman and possibly make things a little bit easier and uh, more advantageous for the football program. Because that's where my question comes in then is that, okay, Marcus Freeman, we believe, has enough of the right stuff on a, on a player-coach level to connect with the kids. But in your opinion, do you think that Marcus Freeman has the faith of the the administration to get it done with the obstacles yeah. that are in place themselves because my whole thing is I just think Marcus Freeman won't be allotted the amount of time it would take to do those things because of just how, like you said, there's less patience going yep. on in the game and this and that. But what's the faith that you have in Marcus Freeman being able to get it done in these two years that have been a lot has happened for Marcus Freeman in a two-year span, more yeah. so than I think any other head coach in football this early? For sure. Um, I would hope that if they invested in him, that they'd give him all the necessary resources to be successful, right? Because if not, it's just a setup, and he's just like a puppet, yeah, right? just a setup. <laughs> so um, I would hope that they give him all the necessary resources that most of all these other schools have to, to be successful. Because I said it earlier, like, it, it's a different place. Like, we get to recruit, you know, maybe – 14 20 percent of the recruits out there it's already difficult enough and then now the guys want to transfer and we can't get them either so I, I would hope that they put their faith in him because if it's not him then who are you gonna go get yeah that's my question who you who who is out there that's just so much get? better than what he's doing right now and that wants to come here and like have all these stringent rules who are you <laughs> gonna go get how, how many people have turned it down because I don't think we'll attract a, a a Lincoln Riley type, a Deion Sanders type of coach. No, I don't want Deion here. I look, <laughs> no, and I love Deion, so I'm not saying it for that reason. I will be, I will, I will be bickering too much on this podcast every day, with fans. I, for my health purposes. No. No, uh, no, Dion. No, Dion. Yeah. Bro, I think I think Marcus is the guy, man. I, again, it, it's difficult to learn how to be a head coach in Notre Dame. Yeah, um, yeah. but I think <clears throat> he's he's learning on the run. He's learning rather quickly. Um, 
And I think what he's doing with the former players, I think what he's doing with the recruiting, I think what he's doing with bringing in some hires he's bringing in, I think he's doing the right things. Um, from what I understand, the culture is great. From every former player I talk to, they, they love the guy. And so he's doing something right. Um, it is a difficult task to to have as your first head coaching job, but I think he's he's made a lot of the adjustments and he's looked within. And I think the thing about him is it from the outside at least, it looks like he's humble enough to admit when he was wrong or admit when he was over his head or admit maybe a little bit too much. Head. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's too honest. He's too honest. <laughs> and then willing to grind, right? Yeah, to make it happen. Like I appreciate someone like that. It was funny because I told Malik, I was like, you know, coming off the Louisville loss, I'm, I'm like, man, at least I look tight. at this game. I look at this game and I know we are the type of team that USC really does not want to right. see. They don't really want to see us if the real Notre Dame shows up. That's right. The trenches, the physicality, yep. defensive backs that are able to go man to man like, yo. They don't want to see us. I said, but, man, I don't know how that mindset is going to be coming off this Louisville game. Yeah. And, man, they put the camera on Marcus Freeman in the tunnel when they were getting ready to come out, and I was like, oh, they're ready. I said, okay. I said, okay. He has them ready tonight. And I was like, I'm good. I didn't know it was going to end up being 48-20. But I, I, and from that point, I was like, oh. Notre Dame's bringing that physicality tonight. Like, right. I hope USC is ready. And I, I don't think Lincoln Riley, I don't know if you guys heard his press conference yesterday. That dude is totally oblivious to what happened <laughs> on Saturday night. He's oblivious. The excuses he had, I'm like, man, you got your butt kicked. Stop all that. Like, just say, yo, we Dabo 20, last year, what did he yeah. say? He hey. said, we got our whoop. We got whoop. They whooped our tail. They, that's <laughs> the, they just flat out whooped our tail. They that's all Lincoln it. Riley had to say. He, mm -hmm. Oh, no. Well, you know, we we know we had a chance. I told our coordinators yeah. right there, if we get a stop in the fourth quarter, we're going to win this game when we cut it to 11. All right, man. Okay. That, I mean, that catches up with you, right? Because if, if you're not honest with your team, guys, they're, guys, they're not dumb. Mm -hmm. They're not. Right? They they know why they lost. They got whooped up front. Mm -hmm. They got out coached. They got out physical. They got out hearted. Like they know. So you you keep making those excuses. He's gonna lose the locker room. Like hey guys, we gotta look in the mirror. We got our butt whooped. Practice. We gotta do this 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 this. Mindset up. this right. That's I could get behind someone like that. So but hey look they, got they no, play they, they got no problems on their hands they right play now. They you got Washington Saturday. still play. They got to right. play Oregon. They, go, they, they got to play Utah Saturday. <laughs> hey, and, and Washington could bring it too. But yeah. Yeah, that's how I always approach that, that SC game, right? It's like, man, we need to be physical. I know these dudes are fast. I know they're quick. But we need to be physical with these dudes. And you do that, it's it's that's a Notre Dame game. That's, the, that's our secret sauce, right? Be yeah. physical. We're athletic, but be physical. Would that be the, the the win that changes the season for us? Because me and Sean has talked about a lot. Ohio State was the game for us this season to, to overcome a lot of what we – Wait, uh, you see him scratching his Because I'm like, the USC game is great, but that Ohio State game as well. Dude, I want it, you know? We have been smacking USC for decades, bro. Uh, I'm sorry, as a fan and, and someone that covers the, the program – 
That does nothing for me. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't. I'm with you. We, we <laughs> need to win that Ohio State. That game, I rewatched that game two times, and we were the more dominant football team. Yes! yes! On offense and defense. Yes! Like, we we, we let that one get away. That was oh, our yeah. game. Like, and I'm tired of saying that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm tired of saying that. Like, that was our game. That and people want to blame the coaches for not having 11 guys. I'm like, dude, we practiced this all week. I know this dude's supposed to be standing right next to me. Why would you be on to the sideline for him to get in? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. for two plays? The two <laughs> like, plays. Oh, yeah. man. The moment was too big for those young guys or something. I don't know. It was it's too I, big. I know, where, I know where I line up, and I know who runs up right next to me every single time in, the, in, this, in this set. And then yeah. you look over the overhead view. The the nose tackle isn't even looking left to right. He's just looking straight ahead. Like I just I just gotta. I'm like, where is the awareness, linebacker? You see a gap right there? None. You're just not going Nothing. <laughs> like you don't you don't realize something's wrong. <laughs> so no, it's, I, I know it's we want to blame coaches for that, but shoot, like you know you know what if you if you're on that um, position group, you know you're supposed to be out there. That's right. And and where's the captain of the defense screaming to the sideline? Hey, we're missing this dude. Who are uh, JD Tayow? Oh yeah, <laughs> we talk about that a lot. You know, we can't. According to Notre Dame fans, you know, can't the defense can't him. operate without JD Tayow. He do nothing without two straight plays. He didn't notice ten players were on the field. <laughs> you know, and, I, mean, I mean that's bad. That was I was mad. Yeah. And and I see someone in the chat. You know, and we say that jokingly. I do. I don't have a problem being critical yeah. of the linebacker play. But, you know, someone said move on. You can't move on. No, that's because you, those type of wins help the program move on. Yeah. The program can't take the next step until they win those type of games. So you're saying move on? We can't. Yeah. We're in the same spot. Definitely so can't we, move on. We can't <laughs> move on. Over that. Yeah. You move on by winning those type of games. And as you said, Shane, stop saying, man, we almost had that one. We should have won that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. We got to win those big games. Like, that's that's a program changer. And, and then with those program changers, you get guys to come in who are program changers. <laughs> and then those games aren't close. Then like, the games aren't close. Yeah, that's what I want. I don't want the games not to be close. Because we have enough of the right stuff. If you're looking on yes. paper to paper, you're like, yep. man, it's no they team stacked top to bottom. Depth and all. I mean, do we? Because of, according to you, Malik, we're not getting the juice that we thought we were supposed to get from the quarterback. Man, man. And, I, you know, I think that for the quarterback position and, and who he is as a person, he's more of a constant. I don't think he's the, the catalyst for us to get over the hump, but he's a constant. If you just do everybody, do their job, he'll do his and we'll have some success. But, you know, those three games that we signed him for, essentially, we needed him to be the catalyst. We needed him to be the reason why. That's why I'm like, Ohio State game, he shouldn't have worse stats than Kyle McCord, a four-game starter. He should be having the Jack Cone stats of the Fiesta Bowl when Jack threw for 500 yards and five yep. touchdowns. That's the game that it should have looked like because yep. that's who we brought him. That's why we brought him in. Because if not, Tyler could have did that. Yeah, that's why we paid him. <laughs> that's why we, that's why yeah. we paid him. 
So crazy, so crazy stuff. I, I do still think we are, I think we're talented at the wide receiver position. I just think we're young and inexperienced. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. and I don't think. How much of a chance um, do you put that on though? Like, you know, yeah, they're young and they're talented, but your receiver coach got to have some effect in there to get them like Ohio sure. State. Young guys going there every day, every year. Yeah. Sardell yeah. Tate going in there still with his high school book bag on. <laughs> putting up points in, in numbers. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to figure out where, where are we missing it at? Because I think our guys are young and talented as well. I think they are too. I, I Yeah, I don't know what we're doing. I, I think there's a disconnect for sure. And I again, I don't know if it's a fear of the big stage from coaches or players. Mm-hmm. But man, we get... We brought these guys in here. Let, let them do what let them do what we brought them in here to do. Yeah, right. I I remember Coach Davey used to say it all the time. He's like, man, I didn't bring you here to be a robot. <laughs> right. You can be an individual within the framework of the team. Yeah. Like you got you brought this. Like look, you brought me in here. You knew who I was. Let let me yeah. do what you brought me here to do. Yeah. And I will say this, and we have pointed this out. And this is one of the things that made us say, uh, danger, Will Robinson. Danger before the season started. Deion Cozy went out with injury. That's your veteran starter. Jaden Thomas has been injured. That's your other veteran starter. And the leading receiver, stat-wise, returning, transferred to Ohio State. So your three veterans that have actually been on the big stage yeah. Either haven't been available or they're no longer in the program. Right? Well, yeah. So yeah. at that point, you're depending on these youngsters. And, and that's and a tough task. For sure. And we were already thin at that unit coming into the year. And you know when you're thin at one unit, guys start getting hurt because they're having to practice more. They're having yeah. to do more like um, scout reps. They're having to do more game reps. And so you just get worn down. And so – when you're as thin as we are, like I, I, I see more injuries coming for that unit because they're beat up right now. And yeah, you ask them, these freshmen, these 18, 19 year old like boys to, to start and be a one more. receiver out there and win and play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those dudes, what was that game? They were exhausted. They were exhausted. Uh, probably the Duke game. I thought they were, they looked yeah. exhausted to do game. That's what I'm talking about because that's when we were really thin. Jaden Thomas, like, those dudes were exhausted. Like yeah. people don't understand. Usually, like you go run a go route, you either come out or you come out the next play. These dudes didn't get to come out, man. They walking 40, 40 yards back to the huddle, back to the line of scrimmage. That's tough. <laughs> and then, and then now, how how hard are you blocking on the run play? Yeah. Right. You you, you can't go one hundred percent the whole game at receiver. No, you can't. You can't. And look. The only difference between Notre Dame and top elite teams are difference makers. Yeah. That's it, man. That's it. That's it. And, you know, but it's weird there, is no, usually... there is no freshman Michael Floyd or Golden Tate in this yeah. class. You don't have one that can just come in and be physically dominant yeah. and, and, and play like that. So, you know, you play the hand you're dealt. I'm sure it's, it was – not having those veterans that you expected uh, impacts the play calling, impacts how you want to do things for Jared Parker. You know, the, Sam Hartman has to build a rapport with somebody, which is probably why we saw Mitchell Evans come to the forefront at tight end. Yes. Well, heck, 
somebody's gonna come to the forefront at tight end at Notre Dame anyway. Anyway, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is. But it has it has been very difficult to watch this Notre Dame offense, and hopefully with the bye week, Malik, like you said, both of you, they won't look as tired or exhausted as some yeah. people has talked about. They'll be refreshed. And then yeah. they'll come up with some things to help these young receivers out because they've been productive, but to help them be more impactful. Sam Hartman almost got Rico killed against USC oh, oh, yeah. on that yeah. crossing route. He, I'm like, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you throw the ball high and I'm like, dude. You're going to run out of receivers now doing you know, that. Yeah. I know Rico is a freshman, <laughs> but I would have had some words on the sidelines. Like, hey, bro, don't hang me out like that. I know. You know, I, I would like to see Love have more um, design calls for him. <laughs> I think I think that dude, he, he whatever it is, he has it. He and got it, right? He whatever it is, he just he got it. He doesn't get the the touches he needs to, to make. Like, I remember Julius Jones his freshman year. He reminds me a little bit of Julius. Like, mm. every time that dude touches the ball, you're like, what's this dude going to do? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think, he, I think he, Love he break. has that. He has that. We just, but if you look at what we did with Julius back then, that dude played, right? Yeah. Kick return, punt return. He was in the rotation at, at running back. Like, get him as touches. Like, when he got those special players, like like you said, we don't have that many special players. Now, when you have one, get him in there somehow. Same thing on defense, mm-hmm. right? That number three, get him in there somehow. Yeah. Figure it out. That just put special. him in. Just, you know, 51. <laughs> 51 that had the sack, even though they yep. got the penalty. Yep. True freshman. Yeah. Player. Figure, Player. figure out a way. Like, he's the first person I've seen blow past a, a tap. Yep. Just all pure speed. I'm like, okay. Yep. That's like that's like Justin Tuck, freshman year. Like, mm. that dude, hey, he physically wasn't really ready, but this, this dude's special. We got to get him out there somehow. Yeah. All right, before we let you go, Shane. Do a little something with former Notre Dame players called Back on Campus. Who was your OG when you first got to Notre Dame? Who was your OG? Man, there was a lot of them. Bobby Brown. Ooh. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good Johnny one. Johnny Sanders. Mm-hmm. D. Cooper. Um, who else? We had some good ones, man. Um, Devron Harper. Was a good one. I remember for me. that. Yeah. Uh, there were some linebackers. Um, Ronnie Nix from Texas. He was a thumper. Um, Anthony Denman. Mm. Uh, Anthony Weaver. Big Weave. Okay. Yeah. GI, Grant Irons. Yeah. David Givens was, was, my, was my roommate. Arnez Battle. Hey, man. Did David Gibbons have like a uh, a key to the weight room? <laughs> that man, that dude was rock. I'm like, man, you're a wide receiver. What? What? The what? <laughs> Eating weights for breakfast, man. That dude, man, he was he was built different. That dude, he looked like one of those muscle men. You know, the ones they the toys where they have like yeah. the skinny right here <laughs> and the, just yeah, man, that dude, he looked fake. He was so big. He came from the same high you school. Face, uh, man. <laughs> David Boston came from from Humble, Texas. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. built just just kind of like that dude. David was that uh, Give was man. That dude was special, man. We had we had some some special receivers. They used to call themselves Afros. 
Right. America's, America's finest receivers on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Now yeah. Saying, yeah, on Saturday. I remember that. Monday through Friday, you're getting beat up. Who started that? Did, 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 uh, did D-Maze start that? Yeah, it was D-Maze. It was uh, – uh, I thought Mal- it was him and Lake Dawson, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mount Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that to me is like that's the coldest nickname I've ever heard. Afros. Afros, America's mm-hmm. finest receivers on Saturday. And I remember that. Yeah, that's I cool. remember that. You talked about what you left on that field. Give me one game that you always think about and you like, yo. They need Notre Dame need I, I left everything <laughs> on the yeah. field in yeah. that game. Uh, Nebraska 2001. Mm. Man, we we just knew because I mean they were still triple option. They had big fullbacks. They're running. They had two running backs. One was like 250, 260. And man, I'm telling you, we were trying to kill those dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you, feet tackles. You just I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Every hit we did was like <laughs> we were trying to knock people out. I was when you could use your helmet still too. So we we're still yeah. using our helmets. Yeah. You um, shooting for knees, ankles, and shoulders. Oh, uh, everything. Again, when I, it wasn't just like get him to the ground. I'm trying to hurt this guy. <laughs> we used to try to knock people out. Sometimes we got knocked out. But we were trying right. to knock people out. <laughs> yeah, that game was that was a physical game. I remember um, after that game, a lot of their guys were saying this was the most physical football game we've ever played. Yeah, they're saying they're saying we're we're, we're hurting this game, and that's again that's how we wanted to play defense, right? See, you you want to hear that. Because that's similar to Malik, what the Ohio State players were saying in the locker room. Oh, yeah. They, like, they oh, said, I don't know how we won that. That's they like, dude, yeah. they're like, yo, this is the most physical offensive line and defensive yeah. line we faced. That's You're doing something. You're doing that. that that's yeah. that's who we are, right? We're right. All the limelight, all the notoriety we get, we're still a blue-collar football team. All right. Dopest professor. Professor Pierce. Mm. Love that dude. It, I hated history, and he was my history professor. And the way he did it was he had three groups of people. You were pro, you were con, or you were the judge. And he would give you a topic, Brown versus Board of Education. And you had to go, if you were pro, you had to go find out reasons why you should be pro for that. And then you go and come argue in class. And I'm like, man, what a dope, what a dope way to get you to dig deep. Instead of just reading like through the, the book, man, you were really this out. deep and, and trying to like. <laughs> so for someone that's competitive, right? I'm like, man, I'm, I'm trying to win this. So yeah. it, it forced me to to really dig deep and really study and really dig into into that concept or that topic, whatever we're doing. I was like, I told him, thank you, man. That dude was he was unbelievable. That's and he, he knew every you couldn't get anything past him. If you said one wrong fact, you go, oh, it actually didn't happen that way. He knew everything. <laughs> yeah. and you, you shuffled all your papers up. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that dude was up. dope, man. I loved him, man. That's what's up. Now, I know the long history of trash talking amongst the football team when it comes to hooping. Who was who was the dopest hooper? Your time on the football, on the football, on the football team. team. Oh. Probably Arnez, man. Arnez was that dude was so talented at everything he did. Arnez battle? Arnez, man. Laziest dude I know. But that dude so <laughs> talented. Dude you know. Oh, he's so talented. <laughs> he was my roommate, and that dude was so lazy. I'm like, dude, you 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 made dinner. Wash these dishes, dude. Yeah, you got dishes in there. 
No, Arnett is my boy, man. That dude, he was, to this day, probably the best athlete I've ever been around. Wow. I think he, he probably played at 220, 225, the fastest, most explosive, quickest, yeah. agile. He, I mean, that dude was special, man. At 225? That dude man, was big. That's considered he, a heavy back in college football today. He was he was recruited as a quarterback, right? Yeah, he was he was court he was special quarterback. And then switched his, over. He had one of the hey, Arnez battle might have one of the top three moments in Notre Dame history, bro. That touchdown against Michigan State. Oh yeah, bro. Because I'm telling you. As a fan watching it, <laughs> I I'm sitting here like, man, we're about to. I can't believe that we let Charles Rogers catch this darn ball <laughs> in the back of the end zone. We're about to lose this darn game, and then literally five minutes later, I'm like going bananas. That dude, he is special, man. You know the other good uh, basketball player right behind Arnez was probably Tuck. That dude was really? a freak. Man. Oh, Tucker Hoop. Really? Man. He looked stiff yeah. on the basketball court. Nah, really? Tucker Hoop, man. That, <laughs> he could hoop. I mean, I remember Tuck when Tuck left, he was like 285. He had a, a 42 and a half inch vert. Yeah, Tucker Hoop, what? man. Tucker Hoop. At 285. Okay. Yes. That's, it, that's crazy. Go that's look at his combine crazy. stats. 285, 42 and a half inch vert. That's now, Shane, I'm that's not shocking to me. Because if you were to ask Malik the same question about his time, he's going to give you one person, and you probably be like, ain't no way. Oh, Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey. Man, that brother. Man, that brother. I don't know if it's just because he was 6'8 and 2 whatever, <laughs> or 3 whatever, but it's just a and – he's, and he's got, like, like skilled hands. Like, he's he big – Big goofy, big strong, you know, but it, but his hands are real finesse. So he just lay up, finger roll all the time. I'm like, you like a real big man. Like, oh, okay. you need to try out for the Jazz or something. You kind of, you kind of. Oh man, we had this dude. He played guard for us, Jim Jones. Jim Jones was so big yeah. and wide, he couldn't put a backpack on. So he carried like a duffel bag around. <laughs> we used to kill him. I said, man, I give you twenty bucks, you can put this backpack on. He couldn't get that backpack on. We would oh, play he basketball. Bend, he couldn't bend to put the, the strap on. Man, he was too wide, man. He was like a block. <laughs> but we we were playing basketball at, at uh, was it Lofton? Where is it? Where you play basketball? Whatever. We were playing basketball. This big dude, he's probably 6'2", 6'3", got to be 3'10", 3'15". I did just stroking threes. I said, man, if you don't get your big ass down here, it's a rebound. <laughs> Big men always want to have the ball in their hands and swear to guards, man. They swear to guards, man. One last on-campus question for Shane Walton. Thank you for joining us, big bro. We greatly appreciate you giving us some time today. Oh, man. If one team in Notre Dame history that you could go back and play for, who would it be? Even if it was going back and one of the years you played with your boys, you know, would it be the Lou Holtz era? Would it be now? Would it be the Brian Kelly era, maybe with the 2015 team? That was a squad. Like, what yeah. squad do you look back at and say, you know what? I love 
playing in Notre Dame when I did, but boy, if I could have played with those dudes. Uh, probably the whole years mm. when they had, they had, they had, man, they had, whew, they had a squad, man. And a bunch of those dudes are my good friends and I never even played with them. Really? Um, yeah, he, he had a squad. Those dudes, they were just different. Like Lou Holtz, he could bring, like, he could get around the uh, the uh, the recruitment uh, standards that we got at Notre Dame. Yeah, he he brought some dudes in, and <laughs> and but Lou Holtz knew how to like he knew how to control and regulate guys, right? And he had the respect, and guys weren't. I mean, till to this day, guys are afraid of him. This little dude, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would have loved to play for those teams. They, like guys are telling me, they said, "Man, the games were easy." They said practice was so hard, the games were easy. Like we used yeah. to look forward to going to the games because we knew we were gonna hurt people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would have loved to play play for the Holtz, like the 95, 96. I think his greatest gift that you talked about, both of you have talked about it, was his ability to give confidence to players. I we we interviewed Jeff Burris, and Jeff Burris was a all-American running back and was recruited to Notre Dame as a running back. So when he got to campus, his first practice, he said uh, he was with Willie Clark, who was also recruited as a running back. And they were like sixth, seventh on the depth chart. And he said he saw Ricky Waters running on the field with his shirt off. And he was like, yo, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> he was like, I'm looking. This is Ricky Waters, like, junior year. So, you know. Yeah. He he yeah. He was like, we got a lot of work to do. So he said, we're five games into the season. And uh, the staff knocks on our, our dorm at midnight and tells me and Willie, Coach Holtz wants to see you. <laughs> and he said, dude, they take us to the practice facility. And we walk in and Coach Holtz says, we got injuries. Both you guys are going to play defensive back this week. <laughs> And I was like, yo, who were you guys going up against? He was like, Tennessee. <laughs> he said, this was Tuesday of game week. Yeah. He said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And nobody knew that me and Willie Clark had an extra practice with the defensive back coach and Lou Holt at midnight. Oh, oh, oh that's separate. Separate from practice. <laughs> He said because we had injuries, our starter, oh, we were like, we our top three defensive backs were down. And he said that week, I forget who the defensive coordinator was. He said, yo, they got us prepared to go in and face Andy Kelly. I think it was Carl Pickens, Andy Kelly, uh, Alvin Harper. Like, dude, they got us ready to play. We were scared to death. And we all we did was play zone. But they got us ready to play against those dudes, and we ended up winning the game. That, yeah. That's a special gift as a head coach, to be able to go take two of your All-American running backs and say, yo, we need you here this week. And both of them ended up being big-time defensive backs in Notre Dame as, as their careers went on. But that's what you're talking about as a leader, right? Yeah. A leader is, is someone that has influence on your thoughts, your actions mm -hmm. and your beliefs. And Lou Holtz could get anyone to believe anything that he wanted them to believe. 
And that's why that dude was special. That and his ability to connect with people and be genuine mm -hmm. about it. Not this fake connection stuff, like right. genuine connection. Uh, there's one of my buddies told me a story. He said he, he saw, like he was getting recruited by Coach Holtz to come in his house and uh, he had a little brother that was a really good basketball player. And Coach Holtz, fast forward 20 years, Coach Holtz sees this guy in the, in the airport. He goes, hey, how's your little brother doing? What do you ever do with basketball? Wow. 30 years. Right. Like, so he's not coming in there with, with sales pitches. That dude came in as a genuine dude into your house to connect and to, and to lead you. And I think that's why Holtz was special. Shane, as I let you go, I know you probably would have asked Coach Holtz to uh, get back there and return kicks. That line was long during that era, bro. Oh, yeah. That no line chance. was long. Yeah, that was no chance for me. <laughs> Notre Dame fans, the great Shane Walton right here with us on the Lucky Lefty podcast. Big bro, we got to have you back That's sometime right. soon. I want to have you come back and watch some film with us on some yeah. of the defensive back recruits. Yeah. Would you, would you do that with us? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Shane Walton, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you, bro. Have a blessed day. All right, fellas. Thank you Thanks, so much brother. for having me. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Left, that was one of the best interviews we had, bro. That's right. That's and right. that's why Notre Dame players, man, current and former, are just the best in the biz, bro, to be able to sit down and talk to you, Left. We come back, we get into HBO Showtime and Notre Dame. What does it mean? We'll talk about it coming up. Lucky Lefty Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.